Good morning, everybody. You may be seated. Is anybody glad to be in the house today? Is anybody glad to be in the house today? Oh, well, yeah. And if you're online, we're so glad you have joined us also. David, come on up here. This is the last time I get to do this. I want, I'm going to bring David, David Shelton up here, and I'm going to have a little prayer over David. Uh, uh, all weekend long, we've been telling everybody, making an announcement. This is David's last Sunday here with us. He's been helping us lead worship for eight and a half years. Uh, he has been willing to do anything he's been asked to do. Uh, he has sung the lead. He has sung the harmony. He has stepped up. We needed him to step up and take the point. He's been a part of the group, and we needed him to be a part of the group. And uh, God has kind of created an open door in his career, which leads to go to another location, and this is his last Sunday here. So uh, I'd like to just offer a prayer of thanksgiving for, for David's service here, if you'd join me in that online and in the house. So God, we, th we thank you for David and for his family and for leading them here at the right time when we needed them. We thank you for his voice. More than his voice, God, I thank you for his faith, for his deep desire to see people come to know you and to love you. And I pray as his family ventures out into a new location, God, we send them out as missionaries that you would use them there even in more powerful ways. And we thank you for his life. And we thank you for all you have done and you will do through him. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you, David, very much for your kind of service here in this church. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Okay, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. I'll give you time to find them, whether you're online or in the house. Kind of get situated, get your notes ready. I must tell you, I'm a little pumped up and jacked up and excited and passionate about this message. Um, if you're on the front row, you're in the danger zone, I'm just telling you. Uh, you just might kind of be prepared. But if I, if I get a little bit too intense, kind of ramp it back. Um, I'm really... Uh, excited about the conversation that we've been having this weekend, what God has been doing. And if you're new here, I am just thrilled that you are here. Uh, I wish I would have a chance to meet every single one of you that are new. For those that are online, I, I wish that I could go out afterwards and, and get online, the online crossing, and meet you. Uh, just so thrilled and humbled that you would allow us to be a part of your spiritual journey. I can't, but I would like to do that. Now, after worship, we're going to have some baptisms in the crossing. And we're going to invite everyone to linger for a little bit. We'd like you to be a part of those baptisms. And if you're able to do that and we've not met, I would love to connect. Spend whatever time it takes. I don't care about the cowboy game, really. And if you don't care, I would love just to hang and meet you and get to know who you are, okay? I'd really like to do that. Let's pray. God, we're opening your word this morning not our word, it's your word. And there's power in your word. And God, there are folks that have assembled here on campus. Some are in the ark, some are over in the sanctuary. There are many, God, that are worshiping online. Some, God, are going to be joining us in the middle of the week, maybe in the middle of the night. But God, they all come wanting to hear something from you, not from a flesh and blood person, but by your spirit. So, God, we pray that you take this time together to another level. Uh, you know the needs. You know the hurts. You know the questions. You know what's going on in families and marriages and single people. You know what's going on in students and teachers, administrators and coaches and medical folks who are during this season of life where it's just so hard. There's parents with their children at home, online learning. 
with family they can't go see who are in rest, on, rest homes and nursing homes and facilities and places, God, that we need a word from you in a land where there is so much unrest and so much hostility, God. We need a word from you. So I'm asking you to speak. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. When I was in the eighth grade, uh, there was a bunch of adults that started telling me I was going to be a pastor. And I said, no, I'm not. They said, oh, you're going to be a pastor. I said, oh, no, I'm not. And I had all these reasons for why I wasn't going to be a pastor. And I'm not going to give you all those reasons right now and dump them all, but there were two in particular that were really kind of paramount already by the age of the eighth grade and the time of the eighth grade. I, I did not like this thing called the institutionalization of the church. And I also had a problem with worship. Because where I was and when I worshiped, it was kind of boring, kind of stodgy. People just kind of sat there and there was nothing that happened. It was just kind of they went in and they went out. They went in and it was the same thing every week. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's not for me. Uh, growing up, all I heard it seemed like from teaching was about making sure you lived a moralistic life and how to be a good Methodist. Didn't hear a whole lot about a relationship with Jesus. Didn't hear a whole lot about the vision, a vision for this thing called the church. Now, obviously, over time, I dealt with my baggage. We all have baggage. <laughs> I had my own baggage. Dealt with my baggage, and I wound up giving my whole life to this thing that we call the church. I'm hoping some of you, by the time we get finished, and you learn what the Bible has to say, that in your own way, you might be thinking, you know what? Maybe I want to give my life to something like that too in the way only you can do it, not me, the way you can do it. Growing up in the ministry here, I began to develop many mentors, and one of my, many of my mentors were writers. And one of my writers, my mentors, was a man named Frederick Beatner. He was raised in a home, an uh, unchristian home, very unchurched home. His dad committed suicide when he was a young boy, very impactful upon his life. He lived in a very kind of non-religious, but yet it was religious, but not Christian community in the East Coast where people really didn't go to church. He found himself in New York City, stumbled into a big church, and something happened. Miraculously, he came face to face with Jesus. And when he came face to face with Jesus, it rocked his world. He wound up going to seminary, became a Presbyterian pastor, and it really bugged family and friends. They were kind of, be, they were shocked that that happened. So much so, he was at a dinner party, and this wealthy, well-educated, well-meaning woman comes up to Frederick and says, hey man, I hear you've gone into the ministry. Was that your idea, or were you badly advised? This was his response. We're going to put it on the screen. I'm going to read it. It was not an idea at all, my own or anybody else's. It was a lump in the throat. It was the itching in my feet. It was the stirring in the blood. It was a name 
which I wrote it out in a dream, I knew it was a name worth dying for, even if I were not brave enough to do the dying myself. I could not even name the name for sure. His name is Jesus. And Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you peace. I will give you a purpose worth living for. I will give you a hope worth dying for. And all the essence of what Jesus talked about is experienced in this thing called the church. You see, the church was Jesus' idea. The church is his bride. The church is his family. The church is his legacy. Think about it. Where else can you go to learn about the value of every single human being being made in the image of God and having value and worth. Where can you go? Where else can you go and receive the offer of the forgiveness of your sins? Where can you go to hear about the justice of God, the holiness of God for all people? Where can you go? Where can you go to learn of the generosity of God? The purpose of God triumphing over. Where else can you go? The church. So this morning, I want to cast a little vision and understand, biblical understanding of what it is to be a part of a church. If you're new here, you're going to learn some things about this place that you showed up at today. If you call this your church home, I hope you're going to go, yes. This is my home, and I understand better now what it means to be a part of the church. I want to take you back to a conversation in Scripture that Jesus has. It's the most oldest conversation about the church. It's in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? I mean, what's, the, what's the word on the street? What are people saying about me? What's trending about me? And so they give an answer. Then a guy named Simon Peter says, well, here's what I say. I don't care what they say. I say you're the Messiah. I say you, Jesus, are the son of the living God. And verse 17 begins, Jesus says, blessed are you. Now, that's not very uncommon. You see, Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And it wasn't uncommon when a student gave the right answer, right, teachers, Right, teachers? When a student gives the right answer, sometimes you'll bless them because they got the right answer. And so it gives them a blessing. But it was a blessing that just rocked this world. Here it is. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. Now, this is the first time in the Bible you see the word church. It's also the first time in history 
the word church is spoken and recorded. So the disciples, their first thing would have been, uh, what's a church? This was Jesus' idea. And nobody at this point in time, no religious leader has said anything like this. Moses didn't say, I'm going to build my synagogue. Muhammad didn't say, I'm going to build my mosque. Buddha didn't say, I'm going to build my temple. There were all sorts of traveling religions and wisdom traditions and philosophy schools, but there was nothing like the church. And here's what Jesus is saying. I am going to build an inclusive community of love that's not just going to tolerate. It's going to intentionally embrace every gender, every ethnicity, every nationality, every culture, every language, every facet of society. They are welcome into this thing I call the church. And the mission of this little community called the church, it's not going to be just to elevate and bless the people who say they're members of the church. It's going to elevate and bless the people who are on the outside of the church to make sure they have knowledge of the goodness and the love of God. The knowledge of the forgiveness of sins. That they know about the justice, the holiness of God for all people, especially people who have been oppressed and held down for whatever reason. That they will know that in the big picture, the purposes of God will prevail over all other purposes. And this whole thing called the church is going to exist by a group of people that are so humble that they actually bow before the most demeaned and humiliated slave that's ever walked on the earth, and his name is Jesus the Christ. And they would have the courage to defy Nero, the emperor, who was trying to crush them even while they prayed for his well-being. Wow. Nothing like this had never existed ever before. Nobody had even thought about it. It wasn't even an idea. Nobody was even talking about it. Jesus thought this thing up. It was wholly his idea. I know some of you here are pretty creative, I, I bet. Watching online, I bet we have some innovative people. You can look at something, and there's nothing. You make it beautiful, you create something. Some of you are very creative. So let me ask you creative and innovative people. What if I took you back 2,000 years in time, and you, had, you were just a penniless carpenter, and somebody was to come to you and say, I want you to create a movement that's going to last for thousands of years. And this movement is going to launch more hospitals, 
more relief organizations, more research universities. It's going to inspire more art, more music, more sculptors, sculptures, more books written. It's going to spread to every continent on the face of the earth. Billions of people over time are going to say, I'm a part of it. And 2,000 years later, it's still going to be thriving. Now, I want you to go do that. Now, if, if, if you get that charge, please tell me, what's your idea? What's your first step? I don't care what you think about Jesus. You may not think he was the son of God, he was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. But you cannot deny that there was a man named Jesus. He walked on this earth. He taught. He loved. He healed. History says he was killed on a cross. And some people believe, including myself, that he was resurrected. It's a miracle. Now, these disciples right here, when they hear all this beginning, this thing called the church, it had to blow their minds. They did not sign up for the church building business. They signed up for the rabbi following business. That's what disciples do. You follow a rabbi. You follow a teacher. They teach you the Torah. You follow the rules. And if you follow the rules well, and you're a guy, you have a nice wife, and you have a nice kids, and you have a nice life. But Jesus, you're asking us to sacrifice all of our time, all of our energy, all of our resources, travel around the world wherever you send us, be laughed at for doing something nobody's ever heard of, be thrown in jail, be persecuted, maybe martyred? Really? You're asking us to do that? And Jesus said, yep. In fact, I will tell you guys, this is a lot more sexy than catching fish or collecting taxes. It's a lot more important than building your resume, having a 401k that's sitting there just growing like crazy, having a big reputation and all these influencers on social media. I'm talking about something not only you might want to live for, but something you might want to die for. Because I'm going to use it to change the world. My church. Now, in your notes, I'm going to give you three quick things here about the church that the Bible has to say right here. 
kind of little Bible lesson on verse 18, little Bible word from verse 18. And the first question I would raise is, who does the church belong to? Well, I would say the church, it belongs to Jesus. He says, I'm going to build my church. It's not your church. It's not my church. He didn't say, I'm going to build Peter's church. I'm going to build Andrew's church. I'm going to build the church of Thomas for doubting people. I'm going to build the church of Zacchaeus for short people. Let that sink in. He said, I'm going to build my church. We are his church. The church is people. We're it. We're followers of Jesus. We love Jesus. We study Jesus. We practice the teachings of Jesus. We point people to Jesus. Our whole purpose as a church is to introduce people into a relationship with Jesus. It's his church. Who's building his church? Second thing I was saying in that verse, it says, I will build my church. It's being built by Jesus. And I'm thinking, aren't you glad? Have you ever been to a church and you thought it was pretty cool until you started meeting the people? People can mess a church up. It can get pretty ugly, pretty dysfunctional, pretty off track. And I'm not talking about the worshipers. I'm talking about church leaders. Do you know that church leaders are some of the most dysfunctional, emotionally unhealthy, maladapted, needy people in the world? And I know that's a fact because my wife's been married to one for 41 years. Just ask her. She'll tell you. She'll tell you stories about me. You'll say, you got to turn in your pastor card right now. You're done, dude. That's just a fact. But he's building his church through messed up, sinful, broken, ordinary people He's building it in downtown urban areas. He's building it out in suburban areas. He's building it in bars, in hotels, in deserts. He's building it all over the place in most unexpected places. And he's building it by people who are paid and who are unpaid, who are talented and have maybe no talent, the educated and the uneducated, the rich and the poor, through these little people who all they do is pray. They don't do anything but just sit over here and pray. You never see them. They never sing. They never talk. They just pray. Through those people he's building his church. Through that widow when the offering plate passes, all she can do is put the little bit that she has in. And she says, oh, it's so little. And God says, no, it is so big. And he says, I'm going to build it through these people. I'm building my church. How powerful, how, how big is the church going to be? Third thing I would say, that it's extremely powerful. The church is extremely, in fact, the scripture tells us it is. It says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
gates of Hades. Those were three words that were used by ancient people to describe the, the enemy of humanity, which is death and hell. And here's what Jesus is saying. First, what he's not saying. He is not saying when the gates of Hades, when the forces of Hades are unleashed, when the force of hell is unleashed, that the gates of the church will be so strong they won't let it in. That's not what it's saying. It is saying when the forces of the church are unleashed, the gates of Hades won't be able to stand against it. What are the forces of the church? Love, mercy, grace, kindness, compassion, justice, truth. When those forces are unleashed by my people into the world, he says, the darkness is going down. My church. Now, really quickly here, I want to give you as quickly as I can three markers I think that Jesus teaches these folks. They don't have any idea what the church is. Three markers that identify the biblical church that Jesus is building and what I hope are three markers DNA of the place called Pathway Church. And here's the first one. And these come straight from Jesus himself that everybody in the church, everybody is welcome. In Jesus' day, this was important because not everybody could go into the temple to worship. Some people were kept on the outside. Some people could not come into the presence of God. But a signature characteristic of who Jesus was, he was famous for letting everybody be welcome. Everybody. He would talk to, he would touch, he would celebrate, he would honor, he would elevate anybody honor who came to him. Rich and poor, young and old, lepers, clean and unclean, Beggars, slaves, tax collectors, Romans, soldiers, prostitutes, the paralyzed, the demon-possessed. He was famous for it. So much so, even his opponents, they kind of acknowledged that. Over here in Matthew chapter 22, one of them says, Hey, teacher, uh, we know you're a man of integrity. We know that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Here it comes. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. I mean, you don't care who people are. They're all welcome to you. Go read your Bible. How many times does it say he ate with tax collectors and sinners? What kind of religious people? Who does that? In fact, the last conversation Luke records in his gospel that Jesus had on this earth with another human being was not with a church person, a saintly so-called religious person. It was with a criminal who was dying next to him on the cross. And that guy just said, hey, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, well, you bet. You're in. I'll see you in heaven. One more. Jesus couldn't help himself. Hey, see, you, you, those people, you know who, when I say those people, you know who I'm talking about, don't you? Those people. I mean, everybody has, you know, those people. 
those people were his people. <laughs> and they were all welcome to him. Even the slaves, it was amazing. In the ancient world, the slaves were considered the lowest, the lowest, lowest, like the poor, the lowest of the caste system. Uh, uh, Aristotle put it this way. He said, a slave is anyone who is born, who's born non-Greek. You're a slave to the Greeks. And slaves could be tortured. They could be kind of demeaned. They could be sold for sex. They could be killed for growing old or growing useless until this little thing called the church came along. And the church started loving this group of people called the slaves in that day and time. Because here's what they remembered. There was a day, there was a day when Jesus himself got down on the ground and he took the form of a slave and he had a bucket, a basin of water and a sponge and he started to washing the feet of his own disciples. And then he looked up to us, hey guys, I want you to do the same thing. Go do this too. And they did. Literally to people in that time who were considered slaves. And all of a sudden, these slaves started becoming to believe in Jesus. So much so that the world called them a slave religion. And they would say, we're slaves for Jesus. And they were proud of it. It was a badge of honor. The poor in a caste system are the lowest of the lows. And the ancient people had no use for the poor. But the church, they remembered the words of Jesus, blessed are the poor. They remembered, he said, to a rich young ruler who was trying to figure out how to get into heaven. He said, go sell everything you got, guy. Give it to the poor. Nero was so aghast, his little church was growing. He was trying to have, because he was trying to kill it. He was trying to explain why it was still growing, why they were still to kill it. So using logic and reason, this is what he said. Look right here on the screen. We'll put it here. I think when the poor were overlooked by the pagan priest, that is, his priest, the impious Galileans noticed this. They devoted themselves to generosity. They support not only our poor, but theirs as well. Because everyone can see our people lack aid from us. You see, there was a miracle that happened. The Apostle Paul records it in Galatians. There was no longer any slave nor free. No Jew nor Greek. There was no male or female. Today, I would say, there is no Democrat or Republican. There is no black, there is no white, there is no brown, there is, we are all one in Christ Jesus. The church makes us one because there's only one church. And he's built, and everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. Who's welcome to Pathway Church? Who's welcome? Everybody. Rich and poor, young and old, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Capitalist, 
socialist, black, brown, white, Asian, agnostic, atheist, skeptic, doubters, Muslim, Hindu, Christian, Wicca, straight, gay, trans, married, single, divorced, addict, depressed, happy, got their act together, falling apart. If you're here this morning, you're online this morning, you're online in the middle of the week watching this, and you love Jesus, or maybe you're here this morning because somebody else loved Jesus, and they said, you don't get to have lunch unless you come to church. Or if you're here this morning because your life is falling apart and you're desperate and you would do anything, you're just trying to find something, you're not here by accident. God knew you would be here and you needed to be here because he's building his church and everybody is welcome and everybody means And if you call Pathway your church home, you know what that means? If this is your home, you know what that means? That means you are developing a heart that welcomes anybody at any time and at any moment because you are a follower of Jesus, and that's what his movement is about. He's building his church one conversation, one relationship, one prayer at a time. I used to do all my shopping at Albertsons, and the reason I went to Albertsons is because I kind of developed a relationship with the checker in this one particular checker where I, where I went out. And so I would always look for this particular checker. And she started coming hanging out at Pathway a few times. And when I would go through her line and we would connect, she'd go, oh, Pastor, you, God sent you through the line to remind me to come to church because I missed church three weeks. That's why you're here, aren't you? And I said, no. I just wanted to say hello and get my groceries, you know. <laughs> and, and, and she just started self-confessing right there about her sins and not being, and all that she had done since the last time she was in church. And, and so she's just talking about her sins, and I'm just listening. She's ringing up her, my groceries, I'm ringing up her sins. My groceries, her sins. And I'm just, okay, I'm keeping count. Having a little confessional right there in the grocery line. Or whatever. And every once in a while, she would say to somebody behind me in line, hey, were you in church last weekend? Well, if you're, he's a pastor. Tell him your sins, he'll give you forgiveness this right now. And so we just had a little church service right there all the time and whatever. Can, can, I, can I tell you something I don't like about me? Notice I said what I don't like about me, not what you don't like about me. I really don't know, know what you don't like about me. I don't think. Here's what I don't like about me. I'm always in a hurry. I'm a busy guy. And sometimes I can be such a hurry in the coffee line, in the grocery store, or getting gas, that I don't even notice the human being around me that's a hurting, broken child of God that God values and God notices. And I just don't even see him. 
But Jesus does. Jesus notices. Because everybody is welcome into the life of Jesus. That's why I just want to challenge you, church family. He is building his church through you. Do you even notice the people around you who are waiting for one conversation, for one touch of love, for one compassionate look into their eyes, one prayer, one spiritual conversation, one invitation to come? Do you even notice? Everybody's welcome. Second thing is everybody's imperfect. Everybody's imperfect. Uh, Jesus was famous for pointing out this little truth because in many faith communities, even today, this happens in Christian churches. We have this people, we want to divide, we got the, the good guys and the bad guys, right? The, these are the good guys. These are, we want to know who's the good guys, who's the bad guys. Who's on the outside, who's on the inside? But Jesus was famous for saying, hey, listen, guys, it's not about how you present yourself on the outside. Being and following me is not about the outside. It's about the inside. It's about your mind and your heart being transformed and you being healthy on the inside. It's not the outside that's really the problem. It's the inside. you got to start on the inside. And the inside part is only something that God can do. Only God can change the inside. The rich young ruler said, hey, good teacher, good teacher. And Jesus said, hey, listen, nobody's good but God. Can we all just kind of come to acceptance that none of us are good enough? Only God is good. We're imperfect, especially people like myself. Oh, over here in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus kind of hits uh, people like myself, teachers, uh, pretty hard. He says, hey, teachers of the law, verse 28. He says, on the outside you appear as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. In other words, in my church, I don't want any pretending, no hiding. When you go to work, you got to pretend and act like you got your act together. When you got to go to when you go to school, you got to pretend you're smart. Or if you're a student, you're walking down the hallways, you got to pretend you're cool so everybody will think you got your act together. But when you come into the church, there's no pretending. Because we all know everybody is imperfect. Right? My mother raised me and my sisters in a clean house. Our house was always impeccably clean. She just made sure of it. That was really tough with four kids and my dad, who's an interesting character by himself. Uh, we didn't have much growing up, but my mom always made sure our clothes were clean and we had our clean hair and our place. We went out looking clean. We left clean. We didn't always come back clean, but we left clean. Uh, today, my mom is 83 years of age. She still is one of the most clean people you'll ever meet. She has always got her act together. She just looks good. She's all put together and everything, and she keeps a clean house. But finally, we kind of convinced her, Mom, you're 83, Dad's 90, you know, and she kind of finally agreed, and she went and hired a, a cleaner to come in a couple times a week to help her clean the house. And my mom's a stud, let me tell you. She can do anything. But she agreed. So I call her one I just say, hey, Mom, what's up? How you doing? What, what are you doing, Mom? Well, I, I'm, getting, I'm cleaning the house because uh, Maria comes tomorrow. <laughs> I said, Mom, 
That's the point, you know, that Maria's supposed to, to kind of help you out. Well, so what, what are you doing, Mom? I, I don't want Maria to think that I keep an unclean house. <laughs> and some of you come to worship on Sunday morning pretending you're all clean. Because you don't want anybody to know that you're not. But I'm telling you, you can't clean yourself up. Only Jesus can clean you up. And it's an inside job. It's about your heart. It's about your soul. It's about your mind, how you think. And only he can do it. No pretending. Everybody's imperfect. Am I the only one? Am I the only one who still at 65 years of age, been in the church since I was a little kid, that still needs Jesus to keep doing some work on the inside of me? Or maybe I'm in the wrong place. Some of you got your act together. Uh, you never say the wrong thing. You never think the wrong thing. Your marriage is perfect. I mean, you're on easy street. You, you manage your money well. You manage all your temptations well. You manage all your thoughts and your emotions and your dysfunctional health issues well. You've arrived to perfection. Or maybe not. Everybody is imperfect and needs Jesus taking over the inside of their lives. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And the scripture says the ultimate fate of humanity, this is not politically correct, and it's against everything the culture has to say. Apart from the love and grace of Jesus Christ, it is sin, it is brokenness, it is guilt, it is shame, it is dysfunction, it is death, it is judgment, and it is hell. But by the grace of Jesus Christ through the church, there is life. In two weeks, we're starting a new message series. We'll call it Growing Together. Growing Together in two weeks. And we are going to learn what it means to grow in Christ, to have those things in our life where I'm growing to become more and more like Christ. We're not pretending. We're going to get real. We're going to get honest about real stuff in our lives. It's a great time to join a small group, to really dig in deeper, to really grow and thrive in community. I hope you'll think about doing that. And whether you're online or in the house, I hope you'll join us for that. Here's the very last one. Everybody is a candidate for a miracle. Everybody. In Mark chapter uh, 19, Jesus is having the conversation with the rich young ruler. He's asking what he got, has to do to be good and to get into heaven. And he's talking about the complications of rich people getting into heaven because they had the idea that if you're rich, that means that God has blessed you. And you're automatically right with God. And Jesus kind of says, well, maybe not so much. They ask the question, well, then who then, who then, who then, who then can be saved? Who then can be in the kingdom of God? And he says, hey, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. It's a miracle. Nothing's impossible with God. It's just a miracle. So who did Jesus say he was going to build his church on when he said, I'm going to be in my church? What was the guy's name? Thank you. Peter, 
And I can see the disciples going, okay, you're going to build this thing that nobody's ever heard about that's going to change the world on Peter. Peter, really, really Peter, the guy who stepped out of the boat and sank like a rock. That guy. The guy that he can't keep his mouth shut and you had to tell him, get behind me, Satan. That guy, really, really that guy. The guy, a few verses over, he's going to promise to never deny you, and he's going to do it, boop, 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 just like that. The, the guy who couldn't even stay awake to pray a little bit when you really need somebody to pray, really, that guy, the guy who was a bad aim. He had the sword. He was going to try to take the guy out. All he got was the sword. All he got was the ear. <laughs> you had to put the ear back on. That guy. He said, yep, that guy. Because everybody's a candidate for a miracle. And after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands before thousands of people and he opens his mouth. And thousands came to accept Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. It was a miracle. Everybody's a candidate. The grungy tax collector Zacchaeus became the poster child for generosity. A woman who had been shacked up five times with guys became the one he sent out to tell the good news into a foreign land. And the guy that was the champion of the enemy of the church, Saul, who tried to kill it, became the champion of the church. Paul, it was a miracle. And in November of 1971, six little families decided to build an outpost in Burleson, Texas. They would call it then St. Matthew. There were about 20 or 25 of them. Fifteen years later, they had had church growth. Incredible. They had doubled <laughs> in 15 years. They had another six families. And the church was dying. And the presbytery wanted to close them. They said, nope. We're not shutting down. It's not our church. It's Jesus' church. And they kept on serving, kept on giving. And now here we are. They had no idea. It's a miracle. The church was almost closed. 34 years later, they could not have imagined. Four worship times on the weekend. Wednesday night, this room here called the Ark. 200 kids, students. They could not imagine. Presbyterian Night Shelter, Livestream, Outpost in Nicaragua, Ethiopia, Mexico. They had no idea. Over $2 million giving birthday gift to Jesus to radically change the world. I could go on and on and on. All I can say, church, it's a miracle that we're even here today. This church was almost closed. And this morning, Nine people are being baptized. Twelve families are coming to make this their church home. If you call this your church home, here's my ask. My ask is you get involved. Stop sitting and watching. Get connected. Pray. Find a place to serve. Give. You can't outgive God. You can't do it. Be a part of him using you to build his church. Because what if we all got involved? What if we all got connected? 
What if every single one of us did? What if we actually build that new worship center we've been talking about for years of a thousand seats to really, we can social distance all we want to and still have plenty of room and have room for multiple services. What if we reclaim this building called the Ark really for our students that in this community, the students would have a place to come when their families would not let them there and it was all the pressure. A place really for students to come. What if? And what if it's not just live stream to true words. What if we live stream into prisons and jails in the area? What if we developed an outpost in Granbury and Godly and uh, Grandview, and we called it our own 3G network? <laughs> we already have people there who worship there and drive here. What if we did that? And, and what if everybody bought in, everybody bought in, that we're going to reach the 25 to 40-year-old generation that's leaving the church in droves? What if we all bought into that, that we're going to love them so well they would come here like a magnet? And they'd be so overwhelmed with the love of Jesus. They would say, you know what? My 401k, building a reputation, having a big resume. Maybe it's not all what I thought it was supposed to be. I think I'll give my life to building his church. What if? What if? Every single one of you in the post office line, at school, in the classroom, in the grocery store, was aware of the people around you. And you just loved them like Jesus. What if? Here's what I know Jesus is building his church. Whether you're a part of it or not, it was his idea. He resourced it when it had nothing. He's overseen it when other people tried to shut it down, when the culture tried to shut it up. And he said, you know what? It's not happening. It's not going away until its purpose has been fulfilled, and the gates of hell can't stand against it. People came before us. People will come after us. But today, it's you and me. It's our turn. And I'm asking you, be a part. Because this is our next step right here.
vision that was cast over 30 years ago of a worship space that would house 1,000 plus, making room for the one more. We hope you will come tonight. It'll be live-streamed if you can't be here to be a part of it for physical distancing. But it is going to be a historic moment in the life of this church. Last about 30 minutes. Uh, you'll be inspired, encouraged, and you will have fun, I promise you. But for right now, we have some one mores. Uh, Cheryl, come on, Cheryl, come to reaffirm her faith in Christ. We have Terry and Kaylin Tyler-Reed coming to say this is our church home. Uh, Kaylin Tyler is coming to be baptized. We have uh, Brand, excuse me, we get in the right order. April can too. Where is April? Uh, come on down here. April going to be baptized, professing her faith in Christ. We have Holly and Cermak. Holly. There you are, coming on down here. Let uh, get my, on my order here. I'm trying to get the right order. Brandy Waxman. Brandy's coming forward, also to be baptized. And then we have Brinkley Reese Hall coming forward to be baptized. Okay. So, one, two, three, four, five, be baptized. Two, to reaffirm their faith and say this is their church home. Uh, can we say that God is building this church here at Pathway? Can we say that God is building this church at Pathway Church? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Now, we don't do this by ourselves, but we're also going to practice physical distancing a little bit. So if your family around any of these folks, come up here and stand around them. I don't want them standing by themselves. Our very close friends, but they would let you get close enough to not slap you, okay? Because we worship together, we grow together, we serve together. It's all about together. Here, it's all about together. We don't do it alone. It's together. It's all about together. We do it together. So I'm asking this question of everyone, whether you're reaffirming your faith in Christ, to say this is your church home, or you're being baptized. So here are the questions. Looking at the cross, not me. Do you repent of your sin and accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? Do you? Do you promise to open that book called the Bible on a regular basis and fall in love with reading God's Word. Do you so promise to do that? Do you promise to come to this place called Pathway as often as you can, that you might be encouraged in your walk with Jesus? Will you do that? And here's the last one. Keep looking at the cross, not me. You were born for a purpose. It was not just to eat, breathe, exist God gave you life for a purpose will you give your life to him in such a way that he can access all your spiritual gifts all your talents every part of who you are that he might use you to build his church will you do that if you're being baptized I want you to kneel I know we're gonna be going out in the fountain but just kneel right where you are if you're being baptized okay and I want family to put your hands upon them and on anyone who's joining, I want over here too. And I want us to pray. God, there are some moments in our life that tra are transcendent, God. They're above every other moment. It's when our, our world changes, God. We have been rocked by the good news of your love, that you would love us so much, God, that you would send your son Jesus and you would do an inside job of cleaning us up and give us hope, God. We thank you for this moment. And as these hands are laid upon each one of these young people, these adults who come forward, God, may they feel your hand of mercy and your hand of grace. And as they come up out of the water, 
May they feel the exhilaration of being a part of your kingdom. And all God's people said, amen, amen, and amen. Can you stand? Can we welcome them all into the family of faith? And we're going to have baptism. Stand, let us sing at this last part. We're going to go baptize. Sing, my God. stop by out here in the crossing. There's going to be some baptisms happening here in just a couple minutes and celebrate with our family. If you're watching online, stick around. Don't leave just yet. We're going to be live streaming those baptisms so you can be a part as well. And have a wonderful, wonderful week. We'll see you soon.